Ron and Anian. Do you talk to your kids about the car? You better talk to the kids about the car before they have the problem. The car doctor. I get into that and I'm trying to find out how to loosen up the belt. Well, I laid under it and I look up. No, no, don't. Yeah, no, nah, don't do that. You'll just get dirty. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Fixing cars. It, 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 I used to think it was like Columbo, but it's really not. It's it's kind of like being Batman because you need a utility belt. Hello and welcome. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor. Thanks for stopping by today. We had a car in the shop last week. Well, actually, for yesterday, Friday. What am I saying? And Fridays are always kind of neat in a repair shop because there's that... Fridays are that, they're like the dessert of the meal. They're that, they're that capitulation of the week. And, and you just know by Tuesday what kind of a week Friday is going to end on and how it's going to end. And I was right. Friday at quarter to five, if you can imagine, we had four cars in an open state of they got to go by five. Four cars. And we each car needs 15 minutes and there's two guys. You do the math. That's how busy we were. And at quarter to five, Kathy came in, and Kathy is a regular customer, very sweet woman that, you know, just she just fixed the car. It's not a problem. She just purchased a Ford Edge, a, a, a three-year-old Ford Edge, and she has said, you know, I know it's going to sound weird, but I've got this issue with the, you know, I shut the car off. I went to work. I shut the car off, and the fans, are, or she, she actually didn't say fans. She said, the car's making this noise, and I don't know what it is. And so I, you know, by some nature of miracle, after after 10 minutes of waiting, somehow we condensed an hour's worth of work into 10, and maybe things go better. Maybe when you're in the, the pressure of it, you're, you're in combat, right? You you see things differently, but we got caught up about 5 to 5, so it's 5 minutes of 5 now, and I said to Danny, I said, I was finishing up, I said, Danny, go outside, take the launch thermal camera. The folks over at Launch Tech USA just came out with... And not just, but within the last year, uh, they've got a thermal imager, and I think of it as a camera. But it's basically it's a it's it's like a ray gun, okay? That you can turn it on and just stand and look at and tell temperature of things. It's a thermal imager. So I said, take the thermal imager from launch. I said, here's a wiring diagram of Kathy's underhood um, wiring relay box because from her description, I said, I bet the cooling fan is running all the time because that's what it sounds like I said take the thermal imager the battery junction box on an edge is over on the right side of the compartment take the cover off take the thermal imager and look for the hot relay and I kept working because I'm just finishing paperwork billing cars you know we're, we're gonna be there till 6 on Friday normally we're only there till 5 but we were just that backed up he came back in within five minutes and he says I got it he said this he said and we identified it was cooling fan relay number two and I had given him the relay pliers. There's a special set of pliers that you use to grab irregular. Some of the relays are irregular, and they've got a set of pliers that opens up to the right grip with a little cushion grip on it. You can pop it out, right? And he pulled it out like a dentist pulls a tooth, <laughs> and the fan stopped. How's that, right? Batman and his utility belt. Within six minutes, we had it diagnosed, and we had the bad part, and 
done, right? Instead of just and and it, Danny said and he sh- took saved a picture of it, and he, he you've got to see it. It's really kind of cool because you're looking at the temperature of the underhood battery box, and it scales it. So the battery box was you know underhood temperature. It was right about ninety eight degrees, and then you got to the little orange square that was the relay or the rectangular relay, and the relay was was 132 degrees, and it popped up orange. Everything around it was blue, and the relay was orange. It was like, bang, there it is. Pulled it out. So at least we know what we got to get. Um, sent Kathy home in an Uber. Thank God for technology, right? And um, called up Ford, caught my guys at Ford two minutes to five. Um, you know, Anthony over, actually, I talked to Rick. Uh, Rich over at Mawa Ford and uh, said, hey, you know, yeah, no problem. He says, I got one on the shelf. I said, send it down Monday morning so we'll fix Kathy's car. Look it up. By 8.30, Kathy will have her car back. And um, it's all diagnosed and ready to go. You know, let's see Batman pull that one out of his cape and uh, use the batarang. But um, sometimes you got to be like, you got to be like a a, a superhero. It's just you got to have a bag of tricks. And, And that's what fixing cars really is about today you know it's it's beyond the normal humdrum stuff that doesn't come up normal anymore but it's also knowing how to react and handle the extreme and you've got to handle it with technology and i've, I've got to say the thermal imager does a bunch of things we don't just use it to fix relays the folks that launch are really onto something because their particular imager um the price point is great the screen is bigger than anything on the market and it really becomes a pleasure to use. I've I've used thermal imagers in the past, and uh, they've got a lot of uses. You'll uh, you'll be amazed if you're in the market for one, and if you know the holidays are coming up, and if you know what should I get the mechanic in my life, you know, get them a thermal imager. They'll really hey, listen, I used I've used the thermal imager, the dryer at the house didn't work right, and um, I used it to fix and find the bad gasket on the dryer because I saw the heat escaping by the thermal image. So uh, be a Batman. Get yourself a uh, utility belt. Let's get over and open the phones. Let's go over to Yosef in Kansas, Kansas, a uh, 98 Mercury Sable. What's going on, Yosef? How can I help? Hey, Ron. How's it going? Good, sir. What's cooking? Well, we just bought a 1998 Mercury Sable with I'm... only 58,000 original miles. I'm sorry. No, I'm only kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, my question for you is, what are some of the weak points to look at on these Sables? We we had a 93 with the 3.8 liter V6. Yeah, how many head This one's got a... 30 V6. So how many head gaskets did you do on the 38? None. Really? Yeah. Wow. You must take your vitamins down there in Kansas. Um, that's, uh, that's crazy. No, it dropped a valve. Oh, well, so either way the engine came apart. Exactly. Yeah. Um the 30s are the 30s are pretty durable. This is the 30 single overhead cam bread and butter. Um, I think it was 183 cubic inches, something like that. It's the little basic motor, right? And I um, believe it yeah. was called the Vulcan. Yeah. V6. Yeah. Um, is this? The, oh, so this is the dual overhead cam. I'm not for sure. Has it got a big I, wide? Has it got a big wide valve cover, and the and the spark plugs are in the middle of the valve cover? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. This is the big wide. They're pretty durable. All right. Um, some things to note: changing spark plugs is a bear. The okay. the upper intake plenum has to come off to do it, 
And is it does it have coils or ignition wires? Because I assume your question is, where are the holes, what are the pitfalls, and what parts do you, should you expect to have to replace? Uh, basically, what what are some of the weak points? Right. You know, like so, do we need to worry about transmissions yes. grenading? Yeah, or? they. But you know that generation. You know, by '98, a lot of the problems were solved. It was the early '90s Taurus Sables that had the problems with planetaries and drums and servos and input shafts and everything else that went wrong. It was, you know, I think I think Ford at the time was, they were practicing building transmissions and they, they kind of got it right by the mid-90s, 96, 97. The 98s were pretty durable, but like anything else, it is 22 years old now and, you know, it's, you know, what kind of shape is the fluid in and should you have it changed and are, are there any leaky Oil seals? and changed. Yeah, you know. It was the cool one um, and... I'll put it to you, I'll put it to you like this. How much did you pay for the car? Two thousand. Okay, for two grand. You think the car's good enough to run a year? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So if you get a year out of that car with minimal investment, it doesn't. It then doesn't owe you a dime. What I'd be worried about, as far because you're not going to do anything about the shape of the trans. If the trans is going to grenade, the trans is going to grenade. And you're not going to put a trans in it because, well, I can speak in New Jersey in New Jersey dollars. A transmission in that car, even today, is every bit of three thousand dollars, thirty five hundred bucks. They're not cheap, so it's you, you know you know the trans is going to cost you more than what the car paid, which paid for the car. Um, so that that wouldn't make any sense. Uh, you know, you've got to look at rust. You've got to look at brake lines, fuel lines coming down the left side of the chassis. You want to take a look at the rear suspension. The cross links always rusted. They were always issues. And, you know, as long as the rust doesn't or isn't a problem, then you can go look, you know, just do some maintenance to it. Filters, you you, you know, when was the last time spark plugs were out of it? Uh, you know, at 58,000, by mileage, it's kind of early. By time, if they're original, they're 22 years old, will the, will the steel plug come out of the aluminum cylinder head? Yeah, that's a whole other question unto itself. But I've got to tell you, I have had more than a few customers with that generation, 98, 99. That was the dual overhead cam motor. Those things ran to 150, 200,000 miles, depending on how you maintained them. It was, it was rust and maintenance. They did go through steering racks every once in a while. You had one that leaked and it filled the bellows. You know, be sure that the front end, the inner tie rod ends on both sides are good. If you do one, you might as well do both. Take a look at the uh, front sway bar links. That was a weak link, no pun intended, as well. You know, but um, I, for two grand, that car that car might go another three, four years. You might be surprised with some basic maintenance. I, I do have one more question Shoot. for you. Too. Sure, sure. Um, now this generation Sable had a three-speed automatic, correct, or was it the one prior to the the older generation Sable, because my grandfather had a 99 Ford Taurus that had the three-speed. That actually, that actually could have, if, if memory serves, that actually had one of three possible, that actually has one of three possible transes. Because, it's funny, I was just looking at the pan gasket assortment in the shop the other day. I still stock all three pan gaskets for that generation Taurus Sable. So... Um, you know, they uh, they it, it could have one of three. I'll tell you what, Yosef, hold that question. Let me pull over and take this pause, and when we come back, we'll finish up with you and then move on with the rest of the show. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Little GTO, you really looking fine. 
Need advice on how to maintain that classic GTO? Ron is the guy. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. Hey, we were talking to Yosef in Kansas. Yosef, you're still there. Yes, sir. You were leading to a question about a transmission. Real quick, babe, I've got I've got backed up phones. You were going to ask me something about a transmission for this 98 Sable? Yeah, did they actually come out with a three-speed? or Because my grandfather's 99 Torrance had the three-speed with a lockout overdrive. I'm not for sure. Well, they did have – they, they had three different versions of – or let's say it like this: There were three different versions of transmission for this generation Taurus Sable, and I, you know I don't remember the exact. I think it was four T N E, um, different transes, different cases. Uh, some of them were three, some of them were four. If I remember, I think two or three. One was a four. I think the four was the big option. Um, what's your question? How do you identify it? No, I just was curious to see if they actually did. I, I believe there was three-speed and four-speed, but the bigger issue is, and from what I remember, that they all failed, and they all had their issues. But, okay. again, it's nothing you're going to be able to prevent or stop. It's it's just it's going to happen. And as I said in the beginning of this conversation, <laughs> the cost of the trans replacement is going to exceed what you paid for the car. I'm not saying it's not worth doing. But, you know, maybe things are a little cheaper in Kansas, you know, cost of living and that kind of a thing. But at this stage, I would do some basic maintenance, look it over for rust, check the front end, make sure it's good and tight, and drive it and see what happens. For two grand, like I said, you get a year out of it. Um, you know, that's a $200 a month car payment, a little less. Boy, that's, that's cheap. Actually, you get 10 months out of the car. So uh, if uh, come July this car is running with minimal investment, you did good July, August, um, depending on when you purchased it. So, as always, Joseph, I appreciate the uh, phone call, and thanks for following us down there Kansas way. Let's get over to Al in Maryland. Al, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Yes, Long-time listener. I learn something from your show every week. Thank thanks you, again. sir. How can I help? Um, wa- wanted to ask you about scan tools. Okay. I've got one of the old Snap-on bricks, the MT2-2500. Sure. And I'm using it with a 99 Nissan Sentra. And that 99 Nissan Sentra had two ports on it. It's got the OBD2 16-pin port. Right. And it had a Nissan-specific 14-pin port. Yes. I found an adapter when I first bought that car and I bought the scan tool that allowed me to connect to the Nissan-specific port. And I got the Asian uh, cars cartridge and I was able to view the uh, the data stream. Okay. Everything was fine. Right. Uh, cars got over a quarter million miles on it. Time to upgrade. I got a decent deal on a 2005 Nissan Sentra. This one only has the OBD2 port. Doesn't have a Nissan specific port. So my question is: Is it worth trying to find an OBD2 adapter for the old Snap-on? I looked on eBay, and you can find them, but then they need a personality key. You know, I didn't know that car computers need a psychiatrist, but apparently, well, well some of the mechanics, um, some of the mechanics do. I can tell you that. So yeah, yeah I'm sure yeah, that. I, I mean, uh, so am I chasing my tail trying to use that old scan tool, or should I just break down and buy a decent OBD2 scanner? No, I don't think so. I, you know, it depends on what you're looking. for. For. Listen, at some point, you're going to be outgunned using that, that, that snap-on brick. It just outgrew yeah. its life cycle. I know. So, you know, if you can find a cartridge, 
you know, one of the cartridges that plugs in that, that works on that brick, then it's worth it to have the OBD2 scanner um, capability to, to buy the cord. What are you going to invest? You know, what could all this stuff be worth, 100 150 bucks now? Yeah, the ones that I found, of course, they're all used, and golly knows how, how many times they've been run over by the shop vac. Right. But there was around 50 bucks. But then what do you do with this person? What do you need? This, what's this personality key the, thing? The, the personality uh, I key. Up in, yeah, the personality key was because Snap-on at the time didn't have the capability to um, – It's an in, it, they, a lot of the other companies did it internally where they would short pins internally that you would never see it as the end user to identify what vehicle you were hooked up to and how it should communicate on what protocol, whether whether it was okay. um, ISO eighteen fifty or whether it was one of the other protocols that were available. You know, speaking computer language, that type of thing. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, you know, again, but you need it though. You need it. What's total investment? If if total investment is one hundred and fifty bucks to keep using a tool that you're familiar with, that you've had yeah. good luck with, hey, listen, it doesn't hurt to have two scan tools. Said the guy who has. I know. Said the, I know. Says that's, the guy who has nineteen. Well, eventually, right. you're going to need an OBD2 scanner. Right. So you know, yes, you're you're, you're extending the life of, of of that scan tool using it, but you know what? 150 bucks. It's a backup. Do that. Buy yourself another OBD2 scan tool, something a little more modern with more capability. Go visit the right, stuff right. over at, uh, if you want to have the conversation, go visit the stuff over at launchtechusa.com. Take a look at some of the launch stuff, uh, see what they've got going on. Uh, you can go out and look for another used Snap-on perhaps out on eBay if you want, but price point is going gonna, gonna to knock your socks off. Uh, you know, it's just, yes, you can always use another scan tool is my point. And, you know, that brick, it'll work short term for a while, but it won't really do well for the next generation Nissan after this 05. That I can tell you. Al, as always, sir, I, uh, I appreciate the call and uh, thanks for listening down Maryland way. Hey, questions about batteries, right? Um, you know, batteries are a big deal. They're going to be a big, important part of our life. Uh, like they are every day, but now with the cold weather coming to so many parts of the country and around the world, right? Batteries are a big deal. We've reached out to Jim McElvain. He is the e-care manager at Optum Batteries, care of Glo Clario's Global. And um, we're going to be joined by Jim uh, a little bit right after this. As a matter of fact, we're going to be talking to him. Uh, battery Q&A. Um, you know, what's it take to, uh, what's it take about uh, batteries? What do you need to know? So stick around. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. You know, it's a great time of year. Well, every time of the year is a good time of the year to be thinking about your battery, but especially going into the fall and winter driving season, it's, uh, you know, it's it's time for a little TLC for the car's battery because it is the heart of the electrical system today. And, you know, it's something you just can't have enough information on, and we thought we would reach out to Jim McElvain. He's an information specialist over at Optima Batteries, and we're glad to have him with us here today on The Car Doctor. Jim, welcome aboard, sir. Thanks for having me on. Um, let's talk about... Right at the top of the list, I think the biggest question we get from everybody is that about um, charging batteries. Charging AGM batteries, um, anything special they need to know if they're out there trying to do so this year? There really isn't. Um, the best thing people can do for their car battery, whether it's an AGM or just a regular flooded battery, is to put it on a charger uh, because a lot of vehicles 
are being driven around with batteries that are not in a fully charged state because a lot of these newer cars and trucks, they consume tons and tons of electricity and energy. Even when they're not being used, they've got OnStar running, looking for a signal. They've got anti-theft devices going. And, and so it, it's really helpful for battery performance and lifespan uh, if people, even in their daily driven cars, put their cars on a battery charger even once a month, it makes a difference. Just just kind of perk it up a little bit because you just probably can't get enough, maybe you can't get enough clean regulated charge, so to speak, in the battery. It's trying to run the car and, or it's part of the car running. It's easier to maintain it on a, um, on, on a once a month charge like that. That does something for it. Well, you know, it's one of those situations where it depends on how somebody's using a car. If, if they're flying out of the airport and they're leaving their car sit for three weeks while they're on a business trip or vacation. The, the battery's getting discharged the whole time. And if it's a 20-minute drive home, that might not be enough time for the car's charging system to recharge the battery. Or if they've got a, a five- or ten-minute commute to work every day, the amount of energy that gets consumed when the battery starts the engine uh, doesn't really get a chance to get replaced if they're only driving five or ten minutes to the pump. And they do that over and over, day after day, uh, the battery eventually will, will reach a state of discharge to the point where it won't start the car. And, and then people get into that cycle that everybody knows it's the dead battery jump start, where your battery's dead, you jump start it and put just enough energy in it to get it started, and then you get it home and your alternator is getting cooked the whole time trying to recover your battery. And then you wake up the next morning, your battery's dead again. Right. It really didn't get a chance to get fully charged. So you get into that cycle of dead batteries and jump starts until you end up replacing the battery when really the best thing to do is stick it on a charger and get it fully charged. Right, and make it easier on the alternator, and you'll end up you'll, you'll end up saving the life of the alternator as well. Yeah, I get it. That makes sense. Does does ambient temperature affect batteries, Jim? You know, it does, and, and as we're coming out of the summer in most of the country, that's where the, the damage really happens to car batteries, especially uh, batteries that are under the hood in hotter climates in the south and in Florida where I'm at or the desert southwest and Las Vegas and Phoenix areas like that. Uh, it's the heat that really damages batteries, but uh, the battery sales really spike for companies once we get into that first cold snap of the winter because that's when the damage really manifests itself. It's harder to start the engine. The, the oil is thicker, and it takes more cranking power, and, and a battery that's been damaged by heat or just getting ready to be at the end of its useful life really gets called into question when you're turning over your engine and it's not going. So that's that's where people see it. But the great news is uh, just about every major auto parts store in the country is more than happy to, to try to charge your battery and, and check it for free if you think you have some issues. Uh, they offer free load testing just about everywhere. So if you're worried about your battery, if it's been slow cranking over, take it to your favorite auto parts store and say, hey, could, could you perform a, a load test for me on my battery? And Especially if they think they're going to sell a battery to you, they'd be happy to do that. Yeah. Does the does a charge cycle differ? You know, I hear the I hear the word Optima, right? And I think about you know an Optima battery is just a battery, but it's not, right? Is it is the charge cycle different for an Optima versus a standard flooded battery? Well, one of the great things about our batteries is that we use pure lead in all our products, uh, and that makes the battery perform better, last longer but it, it accepts current much better than a traditional flooded battery that uses recycled lead. Uh, we have cast straps that connect our cells. Each 12-volt battery has six cells, and we put in these thick uh, lead straps that, that connect the cells versus we, we tombstone welds, the uh, typical black box flooded battery. 
and, and that, those tombstone welds are, are really a, a choking point for current flow. So when you have those robust uh, inner, inner cell straps that we have on the Opto batteries, they can accept current and charge a lot faster. And then when you really need the energy, they can deliver a lot more current a lot more efficiently than a typical flooded battery. So is an Optima battery more sturdy than a regular battery? Absolutely. And, and AGM batteries in general are, are more robust than a, than a flooded battery. And, and the, you don't have to look any further than start-stop cars. And for people that are not familiar with that technology, basically it's like a, a golf cart where when you pull up to a stoplight, the engine turns off to save fuel. And then when you press on the accelerator, the engine starts up again. So that requires a battery to start a car thousands and thousands of times more uh, than it would in a typical car where you just start the engine up and it runs until you park the car. Um, and so those start-stop cars are moving to AGM batteries because AGM batteries are far more robust to handle those uh, heavy cycling applications where they're starting and stopping over and over again, month after month, year after year. So when we say Optima, we're, we're, we really mean Optima AGM, an absolute glass mat battery. Same thing. Yeah, the, yeah, the absorbed glass mat batteries of Optima. Are, it, it's most of our batteries are, are familiar to folks with their six-pack design because they're spiral cell wound. Uh, we do have a new flat plate H6 battery that's a direct fit for a lot of European cars, a lot of the GM cars, a lot of Chrysler vehicles uh, that use those those H6 sizes. Uh, but the technology inside is still the same. It's still pure lead. It's still cast straps. And it's a it's a very robust product. Gotcha. Absolute uh, absorbent. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Know, you know, I always say absolute, but it's absorbent glass matted. Um, I used to know. I used to have a guy in the. It's a funny story. I had a guy in the glass business, absolute glass, and um, his his initials were AGM. So that's why it's stuck in my head. Um, but yeah, absorbent sure. glass mat. Uh, you know, it's funny, right? Um, newer vehicles. It's been said that newer vehicles need a more powerful battery than an older one, and hence. The AGM battery is that true? Absolutely, and it's and it's not just the start-stop cars, but when you think about a 2019 Camaro versus a 1999 Camaro, it's a world of difference. Uh, OnStar is operating all the time on a new Camaro, and it's searching for a signal. It's it's ready to call for help if you need it, and that requires energy. A lot of newer vehicles have incredible sound systems in them. Um, and it's not just you know, keeping the digital clock uh, memory anymore or the five presets on your, your radio. There's a lot more going on in those cars as, as they get more features packed into them. Some of these cars have sentry features where when the car is parked, if somebody comes within a certain distance of it, it turns on video cameras and it records these people walking around cars. So all that technology that gets packed into these cars that makes them so enjoyable requires a lot of electricity. And uh, that that includes when it's running as well as when it's parked. So and hence the, uh, it's, hence it's, the need. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's why you see car companies moving to much physically bigger batteries, and they're moving them out of the engine compartment. They're putting them in the trunk. They're putting them under seats where they're they're less prone to damage from heat, and and they'll last a lot longer if they're AGM batteries. Uh, so you don't have to you know rip your seats out every year to change your battery out. It could be a six or seven year proposition right. uh, on replacing those batteries. Right, makes sense. That must that must be the Mercedes G wagon battery. Uh, you know, I, I, I look at that's some one of them. Yeah, I, I can imagine. <laughs> I look at some of these cars and the technology that's in them, and I say, you know, now I understand. It makes sense to me. Hey, Jim, before we go, um, kind of excited. There's a there's a ride shotgun experience going on, and Optima Batteries is also 
searching for the ultimate ultimate streetcar. Can you tell us about those two things? Well, the ultimate streetcar is a, an event we have every year, um, and we have a, a series of seven qualifying events that go to tracks around the country. And these are all street legal cars and trucks, and we put them on a racetrack and see how they do—not wheel-to-wheel racing, but timed events. And then we take them on the roads to make sure that they're legitimate street-driven vehicles. And then we invite the best ones out to Las Vegas and take them to the SEMA show and then the Las Vegas Motor Speedway right after the SEMA show where we have the ultimate streetcar invitational and crown the champion. And uh, last year was, you won't believe this, it was a 1967 Camaro. But this particular Camaro is about 1,000 horsepower and it has traction control and analog brakes. It's, it's just an amazing car. And yeah. he's going to try to defend his title this year. And then... The Ride Shotgun promotion we did, uh, we invited uh, fans to submit a short video about why they'd like to ride shotgun with one of our brand ambassadors in one of their vehicles. And we had six different experiences from riding the Rubicon Trail with uh, Larry McClay in his Jeep to going to the Nürburgring in Germany with James Clay in his BMW. So we're going to announce those six winners at the SEMA show in 2020. We're going to send those people off on the rides of their lives. Cool beans. Hey, Jim McElvain, where can the listeners go get more information about about the shotgun ride shotgun experience and the ultimate streetcar, as well as Optima Batteries? There's got to be a website. Well, OptimaBatteries.com is our website, and we're on all your favorite social media channels as well, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, what have you. Okay, cool beans. Hey, Jim, thanks a lot. And uh, let me ask you a real quick personal question. Any yeah. any rumor that um, you're the guy that used to play basketball? I did used to play for the Nets uh, for three seasons, two seasons in Seattle and two seasons in Washington. Yeah, I thought I thought you were that famous guy. So uh, yeah. cool beans. Hey, listen, we're 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 glad to have you here with talking about Optima batteries, and uh, um, we're glad you took the time. Um, good job, good job, sir. All right, send me on. Uh, you know what? You're on. So you're welcome back anytime, brother. All right? Thank you. You're very welcome. You take good care, Jim. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor, and we're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. Let's go over and talk to Isaac in Minnesota, 97 Toyota Camry. Isaac, welcome aboard, sir. What's going on? Hey, Ron. Yes, sir. Hey, I, uh, 97 Camry four-cylinder. Actually, I called you a few months back. I was the one that uh, helped me figure out that my check engine light bulb was out. Okay, gotcha. So uh, that's same car. Uh, the same same, same car, Isaac. This car. Yep, same car. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so yeah, like I say, the code is a code zero five zero five. So a bad idle air control valve. Right. Or idle um, well idle idle air control circuit fault. Let's call it what it is. So okay. The, sure. You know no. All right. So so you've got a five oh five in a ninety seven Camry. Which engine is this? It's the four cylinder. Okay. And same engine that came with the car. Was there an engine swap involved here? Yeah, there was an engine and transmission swap. And I, as far as I can tell, it, it was either uh, 2000, 2001. Okay. So h- how long has the engine swap been there? I mean, has it? have you had the car a while? And then with this engine swap and, you know, X, X number of months later, this fault code occurred? Or has this fault code been there since you did the swap? No, I, I've had the car since April. I got it from a guy, and he had said he had done the swap a little while back. And mm-hmm. when I got it, obviously, I didn't see any codes because, well, I didn't scan it, but I didn't see a check engine light. Right, and because then the, the, so I had noticed it kind of had a weird idle, so then I, I took it to an O'Reilly's, and you know I, I had some codes pop up. So right. I assume that could probably ever 
probably been there since they did the swap. Right, and that's now we know why the bulb was missing because they figured that was the way to fix it. Let's just take the bulb out. The heck with it. Um, well, and the bulb was burned out, so I don't know. I don't know if he was right. kind of being lit or not. But yeah, well, <laughs> and the bulb was burned out because it was on all the time. And I guess you know, yeah, it was either that yeah. or that you know they couldn't afford the piece of electrical tape over the bulb. So, you know, now we've got a '97 vehicle with what we think is a 2001 um, engine transmission assembly. So what I'd like to do, what I well, there's some basics we can go through here, but it always would pay if you can get your hands on a wiring diagram for a 97 and the wiring diagram, if you can identify the engine, let's say it's a 2001, and compare the circuit that you're having a fault with. I'd just like to know, is a, does a 97 operate the same way as a 2001 as far as wiring inputs and strategy? Because what, what I'm about to tell you Will will be particular for a ninety seven, all right. So you know if we don't have that, then we're just kind of guessing in the wind. All right. Yeah. So do you have a pencil and paper, Isaac? Yep. I'll tell you what. Go hang ahead. on. Yeah. Tell you what. Hang on to that. Stay put right where you are. Because when I come back, I'm going to give you some notes. I got some voltages. I want to give you some wire colors for you to check. And then uh, I don't want I don't want you to miss any of this. Stay right where you are. Martin Annie, the car doctor. We'll be back. Welcome back. We're on the end of the car driver. Isaac, you're still there in Minnesota? Yep. Isaac, Isaac. So listen to me. At the idle speed controller, the IAC motor, there'll be a green-red wire and a green-yellow wire. All right? If, 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 if the wiring harness hasn't been modified, all right, that green-red wire at idle, fully warmed up, should read about 7.5 volts. Okay. Okay. That green yellow wire should read eight and a half volts. Okay. If you ground the green red wire and use a fused jumper when you do this, yep. Just for giggles, for protection, the engine RPM should go up. If okay. you if you ground the green yellow wire, the engine should stall. If, if you've got all that and all those responses work, then you've got proper voltage and signal. Then we've got to talk about what's different between, and it would be interesting to look up, what's different between an O, I'm sorry, a, a 97 and an 01 IAC. And then again, which throttle body is on this? Did they use the throttle body from the 97? Did they use the throttle body from the 01? Yeah. Yeah, because that, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Is right. I took my mechanic, and they put on two different new air control valves, and they're still having the same issue. Right. So their, their thought process is, well, you have a 97 ECM in there, and you have a 2,000-generation engine, and so they're thinking we need to get a 97 you know, throttle body and everything on there all together, and I'm, I'm I, trying I, to figure out you're going to fix it, but I don't. Well, and I'm going to tell you right now, I would look at wiring diagram. I would match a wiring diagram for a 97 idle air control motor and a 2001, 2000, whatever generation IAC motor this is. If they're different, you know, count the wires, look at the colors. Then you've got to figure out which one you have and then get the one that matches the car because your mechanic's right. You're working with something that's a 97 controller, and that's really what you want. So do that. Call me back. I'm Ron Anini, the car doctor, reminding you good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.